Welcome to Empowered Leadership. We share candid conversations with successful leaders about what it takes to cultivate the leadership, life, and legacy you desire, and to do it with confidence, ease, and joy. I'm your host, Alexandra Reese. Today, I'm joined by guest Tracy Hooper. Tracy is the founder of The Confidence Project, where she works with leaders and organizations to make confidence their advantage. Tracy is also a renowned speaker and published author. In her wildly successful confidence playbook, The Now Hello, What to Say and What to Do in the World of Work, Tracy answers the big question, how do you carry yourself with confidence now? And in this book, Tracy draws on the best of her background in TV news to tell real-life stories that show you how to elevate your professional presence and leadership. Tracy and I first connected when she coached me and how to be a more confident leader myself. So I have a huge debt of gratitude for Tracy and the role that she's played in my own leadership journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to share this exciting and engaging episode with you. All right. So hi, Tracy. Thank you for joining me on Empowered Leadership today. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. So Tracy, as the name of this show is Empowered Leadership, one of the first questions I like to ask my guests is, what does empowered or great leadership mean to you? It begins, I believe, with how you carry yourself, how you bring yourself into any room, a networking room, a boardroom, a decision-making room, a living room, a lunchroom, a Zoom room, any kind of room. How do you carry yourself? Do you carry yourself with, with grace and dignity? Do you look for people in the room who you may want to talk to who may not know anyone else? It could be a new colleague you have. It could be someone who's new to the organization who isn't in your direct, isn't a direct report of yours. But it's welcoming people and having that sense of everyone belongs in this organization. That's the beginning sign of a good leader, carrying yourself with confidence and welcoming people into the conversation. Those are two excellent points, particularly around belonging. That's a buzzword today for good reason. We know that when people feel like they really belong in an organization, that's what causes them to tend to stick around. So I appreciate you really emphasizing one way leaders can do that is by walking into a room and really welcoming everyone who's there equally. Yes. And it puts a certain amount of pressure on leaders because we assume that all leaders are type A extroverts. And many successful leaders I know are are quiet or reserved. They're smart. They know their industry. They know the material. They know the product. But they aren't necessarily the biggest voice in the room. And one of the ways that you can encourage people to be a part of your team, even if you are reserved or reticent, is to simply go up to them and start a conversation. That's a great tip. I'm curious. How else do you work with leaders who are perhaps more quiet and reserved to show up in public spaces or large group gatherings in a way that feels authentic to them? I always tell everyone, leader or anyone else, everybody's favorite subject is themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So if you go into 
a networking room, if you're going to an industry conference, if you're going to some large event, remember that most people really like to talk about themselves. Therefore, if you go up to them, you can introduce yourself and say, tell me about you. Tell me what brought you here. What interested you in being at this conference? The magic words I love to use, Alexandra, are what, how, and tell me more. <laughs> Those are the magic words that get conversations started. And it, you don't have to be an extrovert to do that. Think about how short that sentence is. Tell me, what brought you here? How did you learn about this speaker? What did you think of the speaker? What do you think of the conference? Those small, open-ended questions can start a conversation and put the other person at ease. I love that ease and simplicity of what, how, and tell me more. Something else that you'd mentioned uh, when you talked about what great leadership means is how you carry yourself. And some people tuning in know you were actually my first coach that I worked with. And one of the skills that we worked on a lot, which continues to influence me today, is body language. And I'd love to hear when you work with people on carrying themselves in a more confident, authentic way, what are some of the body language tips or pieces of advice that you like to share? Number one, posture. <laughs> posture, in my view, is the unsung hero of confidence. And we are challenged with keeping our posture strong and straight because we are hovered over our devices. We spend all of our time looking down at our computer keyboard or texting someone on our cell phone. Physical therapists are telling us that the top three complaints they're getting are neck, body, and shoulder issues. Hmm. And it's from bad posture. And, and it's a simple fix. It's not easy, but it's simple. Not easy because we are always looking down. But if you can imagine pulling your shoulders down and away from your ears, that's the way to develop good posture. And if you can sit, of course, in a straight back chair, that makes a big difference as well. Posture is number one. Number two about body language, this is related, is to look people in the eye. And if it's tricky for you to look someone in the eye, just look at the bridge of their nose. <laughs> it's a great fake. It looks like you're looking at them in the eye. It's in the same neighborhood, I like to say. Look someone in the eye, have good posture, and then I believe extending your hand, we, we can shake hands now. Many people are comfortable doing that now. Extend your hand first and introduce yourself first. Hi, I'm Tracy Hooper. Nice to meet you. That way, if someone knows they know you, but they can't remember your name, you help them out. Those three skills will make you approachable and also to have what I call a pleasant resting face. <laughs> we all know about the nasty bro face, you know, the, the nasty girl face. It's that distant, unapproachable mm -hmm. stare where people are essentially, they're imitating what they see in our popular culture billboards and magazines and newspapers show people with that distant, I call it a nasty resting face. The opposite is a pleasant resting face where you have a soft smile, not a full-on grin, but a soft smile. Your cheeks are lifted slightly. Your eyes are fully open and you lift your eyebrows. When you look at someone and you nod, that's a nonverbal cue, and you lift your eyebrows, that's the nonverbal cue that means I'm curious about you. I'm paying attention. 
you matter to me. I'm glad that we're speaking. That's a subtle clue that that other person matters to you. And those can be simple. You don't even have to open your mouth before you have a pleasant resting face. You look someone in the eye and you shake their hand and then, of course, greet them. And something I saw you do there is another one I'll add to the list, which is lean in, like physically engage, just like the raise of the eyebrows. That's another great way to show people you're curious, you're listening, and you really want to be in the conversation. Absolutely. And another part of that is when you're in a conversation, not looking over someone's shoulder. Is there somebody cooler coming along? Is there something more important I can speak to? (laughs) Look at that person and engage with them. And remember, everything that I talk about with regard to the Confidence Project is about practice. Practice makes progress. <laughs> and, it absolutely does. And practice with your colleagues. If you know you're going to a big event, practice with them. Say, let's practice bringing someone into a conversation. Or if you can't remember someone's name, I always say, preempt the awkward. Head straight to them. Don't run in the other direction. Head straight to them. Extend your hand and say, Alexandra, I haven't seen you in so long. Or if you can't remember, hello, I'm Tracy Hooper. And then typically you'll say your name. Or if they say, you know, I've met you five times before, Tracy. I can't believe you don't remember my name. And then I would say, oh my gosh, you're." It, he said, you know, I'm Bill. Bill, nice to see you again. Out of context. Thank you for introducing yourself again. Mm. Thank people for giving you their name. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful reminder. Lots of great gems about coming back in person. A lot of people are still doing much of their work at home virtually. You know, we've had a lot of practice, but I can imagine a lot of leaders are still, and emerging leaders might still be struggling with some of the dynamics around leading in a virtual world. What are some pieces of advice that you tend to offer leaders who continue to struggle with being really effective in virtual environments? Well, for for starters, please look into your lens. It's a small but powerful skill. I'm amazed at, as I watch people on Zoom and Teams and, and other platforms, they're still looking into their, to their screen and not mm-hmm. into the lens. And It's a subtle, it's not so subtle. When you look into your screen, I can see you nodding. I can see you smiling, but when I, but it doesn't look like I'm looking at you. Now, when I look at that little white dot, it's either white, green, or red dot that you have on your uh, camera. That shows you where the camera is, where the lens is. And when you look into that lens, people feel as if you are speaking directly to them. I learned that skill when I was a TV news reporter. I remember saying to Pete Greer, who was one of my favorite videographers, I always knew it was going to be a great day when Pete Greer was one of my, was my guy. And one day I said to him, Pete, I was doing a stand-up and I said, it's where you stand at the scene and you hold your microphone and you make some statement. And I said, Pete, it feels weird to look into that camera. It feels like this deep black hole. He said, Tracy, here's the trick. Picture someone you know, admire, or respect on the other end of that camera and tell that person the news story of the day. And that was a game changer for me. Hmm. And I encourage people to do that practice. Now, you can use your peripheral vision, not only left to right, but below. I can see you nodding your head. I can see that self-smile you have. And I can look down. When you start to talk, I can look at the screen 
and then look back up at the camera. That's number one. Number two, leader, the most the leaders who are having the most success connecting with their teams are setting up one-on-one sessions with their mm. direct reports once a week, once every other week. Other people say, text me. If you need me, text me. It's a way of touching base with their team. It's more work for leaders, of course, but I'd rather people tell me they'd rather, how do I say this? They'd rather nip an issue in the bud than have it fester and you not hear about it until the next audience, which could be a month away. Those are the two techniques. The other technique is, you know, as a leader, if you notice on a video call, that someone isn't connected or they usually have their camera on, but now it's off, reach out to that person and say, I'm checking in with you. You looked you looked down today. You didn't look like yourself. I'm used to hearing you speak up more. Is everything okay? And you have to trust that people are going to tell you the truth, yes or no, or I don't want to talk about it, or yes, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Those three skills. Yeah, those are really powerful. So one, make eye contact with the camera and show engagement to when you see other people changing their behavior in the virtual environment, check in. And three, make sure you're having those regular check-ins with people. And that third one in particular, I'd like to build on what you shared. Not only is it about having the one-on-one check-ins with your direct report, if you're a leader, it's also about making sure you're having those skip level check-ins with people who are don't directly report to you, but are members of your organization. Because we can't rely on a feedback chain to make sure we're getting information about that bottom rung. Because anytime there's a link broken in the chain, everything below it isn't going to get back to us. So I'd like to talk with leaders about the importance of thinking about feedback as a set of concentric circles, not a chain that you're just going to depend. If I'm hearing this from this link, everything else below must be working well. Great advice. I, I love that. And you can depend on your direct reports to tell you someone who may be struggling, someone who may be doing well, mm-hmm. and could deserve a, you know, an girl or an attaboy. I'd like to respond to something that I noticed you did, and that is that you listened well. You're not taking notes. I'm impressed by that. I'm a note taker. I'm a newswoman. I cannot speak without a pencil in my hand. Uh, but you were able to repeat back the three skills that I talked about, making eye contact with the camera, mm-hmm. having one-on-one conversations. And what was the third thing I said, Alexandra? <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember myself. And that shows that you are a good leader. As Barbara Walter said, it's not the first question that counts. It's the second question that you ask. That Absolutely. shows that you're, li- that you're listening to people. Listening is is a skill that takes an immense amount of effort because we're so focused on what we want to say that it's hard to listen to the other person. And good leaders, listen. I could not agree more. And one tactic that's been really helpful for me is getting comfortable with creating space to pause, to digest, to reflect, and to come back with a question or a statement that feels appropriate in the moment. So often I see leaders that I work with whom I'm coaching really struggle with feeling like they need to have a response prepared right away. So they're so busy thinking about what's the appropriate response that they miss what's unspoken 
like the body language. They miss the important cues that come from tone of voice. They miss the facial expressions that can say so much more than our words. And they miss the ability to really use their intuition to process that and really check in and see, do I have the full picture here? And if you can get comfortable creating that space to just pause, not only is it good for you, but it's often good for the other person because it gives them space to sit with what they shared. Yeah. And to be able to say, as a leader, I need to think about that. I don't have an answer right away. Let me process that. That gives you the chance to process, but it also is a model and teach approach. Mm-hmm. You're, teaching, you're teaching your people that they don't have to have all the answers either. And that makes a big difference because our world is fast-paced and there's an enormous amount of noise. And we feel as if on some level we need to fill up every second of every conversation with a word or a sound. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. That's not healthy. We, as you say, we need time to yeah. take a breath. It feels so good to do it just in the moment. <laughs> it does. Exactly. And But it's interesting. Sometimes when I'm putting on my makeup in the morning and I'm putting on, I'm leaning in to put on my mascara, I think I'm not breathing. <laughs> I'm not breathing. And I have to remind myself to breathe. It's a curious, I mean, we can't live without breathing. And yet sometimes we hold our breath when we get nervous or when we're in a position where we don't have an answer. We don't even realize that we're not breathing. And I'll share another technique Mm -hmm. I learned. I have worked with a voice coach off and on for a long time. Her name is Linda Bryce, and she works with singers and speakers all over the world. And I believe on some level, we are all professional speakers. We speak for a living. Absolutely. To our colleagues, to our, our, uh, our clients and prospects and so forth. And Linda says, that you can direct the breathing in the room by the way you breathe. If you're on stage, if you're wow. in a number of people, the way you breathe affects how everyone else breathes in the room. That's incredible. Yeah. And you were at a conference where I spoke recently. And I wonder if you noticed, you may think about it now, maybe not then, that before I started speaking, I took a deep breath and I looked around the room and then I started speaking. And I learned that skill from Linda Bryce. And I urge your leaders, your emerging leaders, anyone you work with, anyone listening to this podcast, to take a deep breath before you make an important statement, before you ask a challenging question, before you address an audience of any size. Breathing is your friend. (laughs) The other way I could imagine that tool being really powerful is in perhaps meetings or events where you're delivering challenging news and creating space to explicitly invite people to take a breath, to pause, to breathe in, to breathe out. And I had no idea the power that doing that yourself could have in a room. I often uh, work with leaders on practicing how to have difficult conversations like how to deliver challenging feedback, how to coach someone through a really sticky performance improvement issue, et cetera. And one thing we often work on is what can you do in those moments where you start to feel your heart racing, 
your body freezing up, your parasympathetic nervous system has been triggered to really calm yourself down and kick that nervous system back into the right gear. And one thing that we always talk about is how to use breathing to do that. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who runs a lab at Stanford, but he talks about different science-based tools that you can bring into your everyday life to improve your performance. And one that he shared that I'll share with you is, it's called the physiological sigh. And it's where you kind of start with your breath out of your body, you breathe in, you get almost full, you take another sip of air, and then you sigh it out. And that form of breathing more than any other type of breathing has been shown to kick us out of a fight or flight response and tell our body we're safe again. So something we'll often do is practice, okay, how can you do that in a way that it's not too obvious, <laughs> but it allows you to feel like you're regaining some control and composure. And it's been really powerful as a way for leaders to stay in the moment, fully conscious and in choice of how they respond. Yes. And I'll share another physiological technique. I learned this from an organization called the Brain Gym. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it turns out that your Achilles tendon is connected to your fight or flight response. And if you massage your Achilles tendons in the moment, you're sitting in a conference, you're simply massaging your Achilles so you cross your legs and it calms you down, at least for me, in a minute. Wow. I remember giving a, I was giving a presentation before the U.S. Travel Association, and there was the president of the organization who was speaking for the first 20 minutes, and then another significant leader for the next 20 minutes, and I was in the last 20 minutes. And I thought, you know, you have a lot of time to think, is what I'm saying relevant? Are they going to like this? Uh, you know, have they made a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> Do I deserve to be in this room because <laughs> there were people from Delta Airlines and Disney and other travel organizations. And I was breathing. I was trying to have positive thoughts. And then I thought, wait a minute, Tracy, massage your Achilles tendons. And I'm sitting there in that on that Zoom call and I started massaging my, literally in a minute, I calmed down. And I thought- That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> And that's something that anyone can do when it doesn't look like you're doing anything unusual. What a great tip. That alone is worth listening to this show for. <laughs> As you've navigated the many challenges that have come over the last few years. The one tool that I live and breathe by are I statements. Being able to use I statements to express what you want, what you need, what you're feeling, what you think. An I statement could be, I'm concerned about, I'm feeling frustrated by, I'm worried, I'm ready for. Many times when we feel anxious, we say, you're always late. You're always late to our meetings. Mm. As opposed to, I would appreciate everyone being on time. What can I do to make this happen for us? What can we do to make this happen? I appreciate efficiency. I want everyone to be here on time. Those I statements can be game changers because when you say you, you're frustrating, you never finish your projects, it makes people feel defensive. It sends them back on their heels. Mm -hmm. And then there's no 
communication. But if you talk about what your needs are, I prefer, I would like to, then people can't argue with that. And then you you can have a conversation. That to me is the critical skill of good communication, no matter what your position in any organization, using those I statements. And it could be something as if, if someone is interrupting you, that can be very triggering. It makes us feel embarrassed, frustrated, invisible, lots of different feelings around that. If you have a serial interrupter in your life, in your work, you can always say something like, Lee, hold on a second. I think you'll be interested in this. I think you'll be interested in this. You meaning, wow, huh, she's going to say mm-hmm. something that I'm interested in. Or, you know, hang on a second. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. That's a subtle way of being able to express yourself. It's, I think it's gold, I statements. Yeah, the power of I statements cannot be overstated. And something else you've shared about that, I think in your book and also in the speech I recently heard you give is the way in which I statements invite someone to give a gift back to you. And who doesn't like feeling like they get to be of service? So it's a way of taking something that could, if you used a you statement, be conflict and turning it by using an I statement and an invitation into what's now an opportunity for somebody to give you a gift. I love which that. everyone loves. Yes, indeed. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Thank you for that. I will say there's one time when you statements can be super powerful. And I think I read this in your book, The Now Hello. And that's when you're assigning a positive trait to somebody. And in that sense, you're setting a high bar and inviting them to clear it. And that can be such a great way <laughs> to, to use a you statement in a way that's helping raise someone up, not tear them down. Exactly. For instance, you could say something like, Taylor, hang on a second. You'll be interested in this. Or Mm -hmm. you could also say, Taylor, I know you're a person who values transparency. And that's what I'm focusing on here. So now all of a sudden, by the way, when you use someone's name, scientists tell us it activates a part of their brain that gets their attention long enough for you to say what you want to (laughs) say. So you say, Taylor, And I know you're a person who evaluates, who appreciates transparency or efficiency or creativity. Now you're assigning them a trait or a value that they, that either you want them to have or Mm -hmm. that they, that they do in fact have. And their feeling is, oh, she knows I appreciate transparency. She knows I value efficiency. And that will get them to accept that as a gift. Well said. I love the way you wrap that up for us with a bow. Oh, thank you. You know, one thing that uh, can diminish the power of I statements is hedges. And this was the thing or the category of word that spoke out most to me when you did your talk on words to use and words to lose. Tell us more about what hedges are and how they can diminish the message or the communication that we're trying to give? Hedges are words, according to linguists, that we use because we want to sound humble or modest. And there certainly is a place for humility and modesty in the world. But oftentimes people use hedges because they don't want to come on too strong. They don't want to seem demanding or difficult or domineering. And instead of being straightforward, they hedge. For instance, 
just. I just have a quick question. I'm just wondering. I'm just circling back. <laughs> circling back. That's code for I sent you an email two weeks ago and I heard from you. <laughs> yes. I'm just circling back. And it's as if we are trying to justify what we're saying. And if we throw in the just word, it takes the edge off of it, but it dismisses us. It diminishes our language. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm circling back to see if you got my email. Please let me know. Or I just have a quick question. Instead, you could say, I have a question about that. Is now a good time for questions? As opposed to, I just have a quick question. Sort of, kind of. I sort of think we should go in a different direction. I kind of think we should go back to the beginning. Almost. Mm -hmm. I almost think we should ask the client about, do you or don't you? Are you or aren't you? It's a very interesting, uh, literally and actually. I literally said to her, we need to make a decision here. Those are words that we throw in that we hear in popular culture, talk about belonging and wanting to fit in. We use those words because we hear other people use those. And we feel like, well, they're successful or they're popular or they're, they have leadership. I'm going to imitate them. But when you can practice the power of pause, instead of saying, I almost think we should go in a different direction, you could say, I think we should go in a different direction. Instead of saying pretty, I'm a pretty good writer. I'm pretty good at public speaking. Practice the power of pause. I'm good at public speaking. I'm pretty strategic. Or practice the power of pause. I'm strategic. I have a strategic mind. If we can practice that small shift, taking out those four and five letter words and and seeing where it lands, people will take us more seriously. They will see us as having leadership ability or deserving of our role. That is such an excellent point that as a replacement for that hedge word, practicing a pause, not only does it take the hedge out, but it adds weight to what we shared. Very well said. Look, before a comedian delivers a punchline, they pause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're ready to hear that punchline. Yes, it adds weight to it. Give people a chance to process what you're saying. Give them a chance to absorb your comments. That will make a big difference in your delivery one-on-one -on -one or in a group. Absolutely. You had shared one reason people often use hedges and other words to lose, and that's cultural. We mirror the language that we hear at home, growing up, in our workplace. Another reason that I see leaders using hedge words is a lack of confidence. And it's because they have some fear coming up, even perhaps just subconsciously, that maybe I'm not actually good enough at strategy to assign that skill or that positive attribute to myself. And so one thing I've worked with leaders on for whom that's the root cause is to keep a journal of when do I start to use words that minimize my power or minimize my contribution? And then to reflect on it, maybe at the end of the night, maybe at the end of the week, maybe with a coach, if you're working with one, on what are the underlying beliefs that are leading me to minimize my contribution because I experience self-doubt? I think that's and great. And challenge them. Yes. How true I, are they? 
I would add to that to record yourself. Keeping a journal is very effective to look at the root cause. How was I feeling in that moment when I was being challenged about that decision? Mm -hmm. The other piece is to record yourself. And if you're courageous, transcribe. It's extremely powerful and fun. And people will be, you'll notice people will begin to listen to you differently talk with you differently, look to you differently. Once you begin to have this strong word choice, it will it could make a difference between people thinking you have potential and knowing you have potential. We had worked on my eye contact. That's something that continues to stay in my brain is make eye contact. And I remember I started practice, practicing it relentlessly with my close friends because that felt like the most comfortable environment. And within 30 days, one of my friends turned to me and said, Alexandra, you're just so much more impactful in your communication. What changed? Oh, she didn't even realize it or he didn't even realize it. Fascinating. What did you say? I was transparent. I said, I'm working on making eye contact. (laughs) The other thing I noticed as a benefit from that was that I was no longer inadvertently looking past people. When you'd shared the impact that looking over someone's shoulder can have in a networking conversation, that really hit home with me because I used to do that on accident because I was so uncomfortable making eye contact. And I could tell people would start to get insecure in our conversation, look around, disengage, and I never could understand why. And when I started making eye contact, that stopped happening. It's such a game changer. Such a game changer. And I would say, start with what I call a low-level lab. (laughs) Be at the grocery store and look at the person who's at the checkout counter in the eye. Look at the person at the fit in the fish counter at the eye. When you're at the gas station, look at people who you may never see again. Practice that skill with people where it doesn't matter. Of course, it will make them feel better on some level. One brief interaction may not for them, but you will then get more comfortable as you are making eye contact with people who are more significant in your life. But start with the people who you have a tangential relationship with. And that's good practice. That's a great piece of advice. I started doing that to practice casual conversation so that I could get more comfortable in networking environments. Not only did it help with that, but I also noticed that I started to enjoy my just incidental time out in the world because I was having these small moments of joy and delight with people. And we always forget that it's all about practice. Everything you talked about, everything you mentioned, you practiced looking your friends in the eye. You know, you practiced asking people questions about themselves and staying connected, not looking over their shoulder. I mean, think about that. People who are in the Baseball Hall of Fame don't get there by accident. Yeah, An Olympic star is not there by accident. You are not where you are. You mean the collective, you, everyone listening. You're not where you are by accident. It's because you've made an effort. You've made a decision to take on certain behaviors that you want to improve. And it's not only for your professional life. It's for your personal life as well. 
it it lowers your anxiety in all kinds of situations when you have these everyday skills that you can that you can use and practice. What a beautiful way to wrap up perhaps the most important thread through our conversation. I'm curious as we come to the close of this beautiful conversation, what might be some closing words that you have for us? Just took a deep breath. <laughs> Being confident doesn't mean that you are never afraid or intimidated. It means that you have practiced certain skills so that no matter what happens, even in the midst of change, even in the midst of a difficult conversation or an event you are not looking forward to, but you need to go to, you have certain skills that you've practiced that can lower your anxiety. And then you'll be able to build the relationships and grow the career that you want to. It's not about being born confident. It's about practicing skills that can help you get there and lead a full, rich, interesting life. Great leaders are made. They're not born. True. Tracy, thank you so much for your time today. Although we've worked together, I've read your book, I've seen you speak. This conversation has brought a lot of new insights and knowledge into my life. So I really appreciate it. It's been my great pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. If people would like to learn more about your work, find out how they might continue learning with you, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn and it's Tracy Hooper, The Confidence Project. And then they can go to my website, which is confidenceproject.com. Wonderful. Thank you. And thank all of you for tuning into another episode of Empowered Leadership. If you'd like to learn more about the work that I do with leaders to accelerate their individual and organizational growth and do it with more confidence, ease, and joy, please check out my website. It's opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. Have a lovely day. Thank you for joining me, your host, Alexandra Reese, and our guest, Tracy Hooper, on another episode of Empowered Leadership. To find out more on how you can improve your leadership, life, and impact with confidence, ease, and joy, please visit my website, opastrategy.com. That's O-P-A strategy.com. And then please make sure to search for Empowered Leadership wherever you get your podcasts and click to subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please do share with a friend or a colleague. It makes a big difference. Thank you so much and have a lovely day.